If you want a wildly healthy, naturally disease-resistant pet who turns heads and starts conversations with awestruck onlookers, you're right where you belong. This is the Vital Animal Podcast with your host, homeopathic veterinarian, Dr. Will Falconer. Welcome. Thanks for taking the time out to join me. I'm Dr. Will Falconer, and this is another episode of the Vital Animal Podcast. This is episode number 37, and we are talking about are no so safe if my pup has already had vaccines? I've gotten this question or variations of it enough now that it needs to be aired. Brenda wrote not too long ago, my puppy has had two rounds of Parvo and Distemper vaccine. I won't be giving her any more, she adds. Is it still safe to use the no-sodes? Stay with me here, and you'll have a solid answer to this question, in case it's been rattling around in the depths of your mind as well. Listen up. First up, let's put the danger where it properly belongs. It's not some ultra-diluted homeopathic remedy that you're contemplating giving. The damage has already happened. Your pup was vaccinated, setting her up for some form of chronic disease. Minimally, that's disease is likely to be what I like to call the itch, capital T, capital I, the itch. For at least 15 years, approaching 20 now, that's the number one reason dogs see veterinarians. We've got insurance data that makes this very clear, which you can search out for yourself if you'd like. But here's the sneaky part of this often vaccine-caused disease. It doesn't show up until about a month has passed from the puppy shots. That's what homeopathic vets have been tracking since we began to notice the trend back when annual vaccination was becoming trendy. So probably late 80s, early 90s, we've been watching this and seeing it over and over again. So the itch is not happening on the day of vaccination or the following day or week. Almost like they are reading a calendar in their heads. Animals will break with the itch, whether that's itchy feet, hot spots on the rump, while the itchy, stinky, and painful ears or all of this together. And why did I use the word sneaky in reference to this long-term nightmare? Well, if you ask your conventional vet, say, doctor, do vaccines cause itchy allergies in pets? He'll say, no, there's no evidence of that. But was he looking for it? Of course not. Imagine his chagrin when he realizes this itchy chronic disease is iatrogenic. In case that's a foreign term to you, iatrogenic just means the doctor caused it. Has a no-sode ever caused chronic illness in an animal? Or for that matter, any homeopathic remedy? Nope. So first, what is a no-sode? No-sodes, for those new to the term, are simply homeopathically prepared substances related to disease discharges. The two most suitable to growing puppies are distemper and parvo, as these two viruses are pretty much the only ones that could kill a youngster in the canine world. There's another parvovirus called panleukopenia. That's the analog in the kitten. 
potentially a fatal viral infection, a really nasty disease. This is aside from rabies, but that's much more rare, living largely in wildlife species like the raccoon, skunk, or bat, depending on where you live. But that's not a disease that no-sewed protection is practical for, which is another separate episode if you're interested. Just let me know. To explain further what a homeopathically prepared no-sewed is, the starting material is typically a discharge. In the case of distemper, a viral respiratory disease, at least in its beginnings, the dogs infected get a very snotty nose. That thick, often yellow discharge was picked up with a swab, and the curious homeopath of old sent that off to their homeopathic pharmacy, asking them to make a remedy from it to use preventatively. In parvo, a viral disease that's causing diarrhea, that swab would be of stool, likely full of the virus in a sick or dying pup. But how are these remedies made? Doesn't it sound awful to give a, a substance from disease that could be laden with virus to a healthy animal? Listen up again. Perhaps you've heard how remedies are made and still are today. But if not, let me explain the process so you understand just how safe a remedy of any kind is. There's a process, often called ultra-dilution, where a bit of the starting substance, we'll call it one part, is mixed with 99 parts of a diluent, which is most often water and alcohol. Then that vial that the two are in, the snotty discharge and the water and alcohol, is vigorously shaken. It's pounded even, whether by hand on a book, as the doctors of old did, or today often by machine. That pounding is quite forceful, and it's called succussion. And that one part of the starting substance, mixed with 99 parts of the water-alcohol mix, ends up being called a 1C dilution. C just standing for centesimal, meaning a 1 in 100 dilution. Well, you may have noticed in stores that sell homeopathic remedies, there's always a number following the name of the remedy. Say, for instance, Arnica Montana, the Latin name of the herb the remedy started with, followed by a 30C or some other number similar to that. That number is called the potency of the remedy, and what 30C means is that that 1 to 99 dilution took place 30 sequential times. So stay with me here, as this is the crux of what makes homeopathy extremely safe. Remember that vial with the first one part of distemper discharge and 99 parts of the diluent solution? That's only a 1C dilution. After that vial has been whacked or succussed by hand or machine for 100 wax, a drop of that solution is added to a clean vial and 99 more drops of the inert diluent solution is added to that. Then that vial is succussed 100 times, and the result is a 2C potency. And like that, a drop from the 2C dilution is taken to a third clean vial. 99 more drops of diluent is added, and it's succussed in like manner, resulting in, you got this, a 3C potency. Well, 
You can measure how much of the original substance is left at each dilution mathematically. And by the time you reach about 18C, or 18 of these dilutions, and succussions, of course, mathematically, there's no distemper discharge remaining. And the potency that's a common use point is 12 steps more along, or a 30C potency, like you see in the natural grocer or an online store that sells homeopathic remedies. That's all to say you are, by a 30C potency, giving only the energetic imprint of the original material. There's no way that's going to harm or poison or infect anyone, depending on what the starting substance is. So how do we know these remedies that are so diluted actually work? The center of why these ultra-diluted substances are known to work are what's called provings. The doctors of old volunteered to try these substances, often in much less dilution, more crude dilutions, and they took several doses of the animal substance or maybe it was a mineral or a poison or an herb, whatever was being tested, they took it until they noticed symptoms coming forth in their own bodies. Then they meticulously wrote down their symptoms produced from these trials and compared notes. When several of the provers, as they're called, had the same symptom, say, diarrhea that woke them after midnight, and maybe it was a certain kind of diarrhea that smelled to high heaven and maybe it was painful coming out. When many of them wrote down the same symptom, the conclusion was that this tested substance in a fairly crude form, was capable of producing that symptom. Remember, these are healthy guys. They didn't have any of these symptoms before they took the substance, and after they did, lo and behold, they've got these symptoms to write about. And they typically found common symptoms of a wide variety in a goodly number of these volunteers. Their mental state changed often maybe to being fearful for their lives if they continued the experiment. Or they got very irritable, unusually so for their character. Or they found a great need for having close company. They were no longer comfortable being alone. Or they got thirsty for frequent sips of water, or they had tremors or burping, or a watery eye discharge that burned. you get the idea? They cataloged all this stuff. And the careful gathering of these commonly produced symptoms, common to so many different provers or doctor volunteers, was different for each tested substance, but shared by many of the provers or testers, and it was all cataloged in books homeopaths rely on today, called Materia Medicae. Now, you can buy a Materia Medica book easily today that's based on these early experimenters' close observations. And really, the initial discovery made by the brilliant physician Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, the founder of homeopathy in the late 1700s, was that of like cures like. It means any substance capable of producing unique symptoms, like those cataloged carefully by the many volunteers, often MDs, could also cure those same symptoms appearing in a genuinely sick person. So here was his discovery. This is really interesting stuff. Hahnemann sort of discovered it backwards at first, you could say. 
When he became disillusioned with the medical practice of his day, which was leeches and applying mercury and all sorts of crude things, he took up the work of translating medical texts to support his family. One of the papers he was translating claimed that the bark that produced quinine used to cure malaria had its medicinal effect because of its astringency. Hahnemann questioned that logic. There were plenty of other herbs that were astringent that did not cure malaria, so he thought that couldn't be the sole reason. Well, being the good scientist that he was, he tried taking this bark himself. It's called chincona, or simply china. And he took this in crude form, no dilution at all. Well, as it happened, Dr. Hahnemann started feeling symptoms in his own body. And being the great observer that he was, he cataloged them. Most amazingly, his symptoms mirrored those of his patients who had suffered malaria. This aha observation was extended to many, many other substances. And as I mentioned before, he was joined by other doctors in carrying out such provings. And all of our widely used remedies come out of this single observation of Hahnemann's. We rely on this objective work by the doctor volunteers to understand how a given substance, producing symptoms in a rather crude form, also had the potential to cure those sick people or dogs, or cats, or lions, or whatever, who were suffering diseases with very similar symptoms, like cures like. Now, that was a bit of a diversion, but I mainly gave it to you because I want you to understand this ultra-dilution. It's that very process that both unlocks the healing power of possibly very toxic substances, like arsenic, or snake venom, or mercury, but also makes these remedies extremely safe. But how about nosodes? Let's get back to the matter at hand. Nosodes, or the broader category called homeoprophylaxis, are also similarly diluted, although volunteers didn't take these substances and write down their symptoms. The reasons we know they work is a combination of logical reasoning and a lot of clinical experience in both animals and humans. The idea behind no-sode use is that all disease, whether viral or of any other origin, begins energetically. You, your animals, and I are all energetic beings at our core. We've got this amazing subtle part of us that the homeopaths call the vital force. The Chinese use the word qi. The chiropractors call it innate intelligence. And the Ayurvedic folks call it prana. This is the part of us that heals a wound, that helps us extract oxygen from the air, helps us break down our food, all things that take place without our conscious awareness. This is all the work of the vital force. The mistuning of that vital force or chi or prana is where disease begins. Before it shows up as a physical symptom like fever, snotty noses, or diarrhea. A nosode a remedy made from the disease process, remember those swabs, is not only similar to the disease, you could say it's got the very same energetic imprint, right? The snotty nose discharge is there from the distemper virus. 
the parvodiarrhea is a direct result of the parvovirus changing the pup's normal state to one of a diseased state, often a life-threatening one. Near as we can tell, using a NOSO just prior to exposure to an infectious agent, we somehow alert the vital force of your pup to the possibility of that viral disease trying to gain access to your puppy. I like to think of it as sort of a finger on the dike, to use the Dutch boy's example, energetically blocking the entry point of the virus. And maybe it's also an alert of sorts to the vital force, as if to say, if you see a similar energy coming your way, mount your already primed defenses and don't let it in. The bottom line is this. No sods used properly do protect against deadly infectious disease. Those who cite failure of no sods haven't looked closely enough at that used properly part of the equation. Most notably, we'd not expect a NOSO to sit and protect against a virus for a month or even a year, which some seem to claim. Energetic remedies that they are, they don't stay around very long. They're highly diluted, they disappear after a time. And that's true, especially when they aren't highly similar to the patient's entire constitution. For more on this, please listen to my interview with my homeopathic colleague, Dr. Don Hamilton, which is episode number 22. So now you can confidently know, without a shadow of a doubt, that even if your young pet's health has been skewed by prior vaccinations, yes, it's safe to switch to the safe and very effective, highly diluted remedies called no-sodes. Their highest calling, of course, is to replace vaccines. For those of you who've studied vaccines and their ill effects on healthy animals, many of whom become unhealthy after vaccination. Many in my earlier days of practice did just this, and people are still successfully raising distemper and parvo-free pups today without any vaccination. I'll have a link in the show notes for you on how to obtain these no-sodes should your next puppy be one of the lucky ones who grows up vaccine-free. The same page will have my protocol, hashed out over 30 years ago by some of the brightest minds in veterinary homeopathy. Well, that's it for today. Be sure to head over to the show notes at vitalanimal.com 37 for more information and links. And subscribe to the Vital Animal Podcast so that you get first alerts of every new episode at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to listen. If you found value in this or any other episode, you can help me get the word out even better by leaving an honest review of the Vital Animal Podcast at Apple Podcasts. Until next time, this is Dr. Will Falconer, wishing you and your animals all the best. 